You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. Well, I am um, I'm so fired up today because it's Compassion Partnership Weekend here at the District Church. And uh, you guys are going to, yeah, that's worth celebrating. We'll t- tell you more about that in a minute. Um, but we're going to give you guys an opportunity at the end of this message to help a child in need through our partnership in Colombia. So I'll share more about that in a bit. But I first want to finish part two of our series in Ephesians entitled Worthy of the Call. Uh, We've been going through this the last few weeks. We're going to pause for the Lenten season that leads to Easter that starts next week, if you can believe it. Uh, Easter's a little earlier this year, and then we'll pick it back up in the late spring. We'll finish the end of chapter five and chapter six. But Paul starts this part two section off in chapter 4, verse 1, and he says this, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, many translations uh, say not just live worthy, but it says to walk worthy, to walk worthy, emphasizing that it's not a one-time event, but it's a continual process. You are saved in an instant, but you are sanctified over a lifetime. So to walk worthy means to become. It means to become who God has called you to be. It means to to become to a point where your beliefs match your behavior, where your doctrine matches your practice. And so when you think of the word worthy, which is the word that's really framed part two of this series, I want you to think of the word matching, matching. There must be a match between your doctrine and your practice, or a match between your beliefs and your behaviors. Now, Amy and I have been married for 20 years now, and one thing that she's always had to remind me of is with matching my clothes. And it was so bad like early on, and she knows this. I mean, she, she didn't know I was going to say this, but, but it was so bad early on. Like, I literally could not put on one outfit without asking her does this match? And I haven't changed my wardrobe in like 10 years, so now I've figured out for the most part what matches and what what doesn't. Um, But Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5 that we must avoid the mismatch of colors that that operates when, when, when there's a disconnect between what we believe, what we say we believe, and then what we do. Because what happens is, is it it actually it actually chips away at our gospel witness when we don't practice what we preach. And the world is, is looking for, for any opportunity to discredit the message that God has given us of Christ's good news. So Paul is telling us here in our passage today that if we fall asleep, we can easily mismatch our clothing. Now, any of you know what it's like to get dressed in the dark like right now, the dark, it, you know, it gets, um, it gets light pretty late. And so if I get up before Amy for an early meeting, then, and I haven't set out my clothes, then I have to get dressed in the dark. And it's really easy for the enemy to come in and sneak things into my wardrobe that I did not intend to, uh, to have. We got a Mahomes jersey right here. Anybody going for the 49ers um, right here? We got Kittle. Um, and, you know, there, there's just, I think, oh, yeah, somebody brought up Eagles. I don't know if we got any Phillies fans. 
Um, but it's really easy to put stuff, things that you would never, ever, ever put into your wardrobe, ever. You're like, oh, it's dark. And so you start getting dressed and you're like, okay, this, this feels comfortable. And, and then, you, and then you're, you know, you, you've got this stuff on and then you, you, you got like a Eagles championship hat on here. And, um, and then, oh, okay. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. I found the commanders. This is God's team, right? And um, I think I've got a, um, I don't know where my, oh, here it is. Yes, I got a commanders. All right, okay, okay. I think I can kind of see. I got my flashlight on. I can see. Okay, I'm going to put that on, right? And so, and so then, and then you turn on the lights. You guys can bring up the lights. And you realize that you, you, you don't match. Like the colors don't match. The teams don't match. And because it was dark, you did things that you would have no business doing. Like, I do not like the, I have no business putting this on, right? And so, and so what happens is that you bring things, there's still things in your wardrobe that don't match the calling that God has on your life. There, there's no way I would have, sorry, Emily, that I would have a, a Duke Blue Devils thing in my Go Tar Heels um, or, or, or anything that has to do with, um, with the Cowboys. The, the commanders are God's team. And when you move to the capital city and you got saved, you have to do away with the old deeds of darkness, right? 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 So, 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 so the question is, if you've got things on that don't match, the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And Paul tells us clearly in our passage, he says, first, you have to wake up. You got to wake up because you are asleep and it's dark and you might not be aware of the things that the enemy's sleeping in. Second, flipping in. Second, you've got to turn on the light. And this will help you recognize that your things don't match. Because there's, there's, there's some people who don't want the light on. And there's some of your friends that don't want you to turn the light on. It, it says this in John 3, 16, light has come into the world, that's Jesus, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. John later says in his epistles that we are to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, and that then allows us to have fellowship with one another. So we gotta wake up, we gotta turn on the light, and then we have to make the decision to trash the mismatched clothing, the clothing from our former life. So this does not deserve to be donated. <laughs> this has to be removed and thrown away. This right here is okay, and I'm too hot, so I'm not going to wear it right now. <laughs> but, um, but somebody say walk worthy. Somebody say walk worthy. This takes intentionality. It takes intentionality. To walk means to move toward something, to move toward something. It, walking worthy and being complacent are incompatible. There, there must be movement. And if I can keep it real, the problem today is that too many are not intentional about spiritual formation, right? We're intentional about our New Year's diet. We're intentional about our workout plan. We're intentional about our career goals or our vacation plans this summer. But you have to be intentional 
about your spiritual formation plan. That's why it was so powerful for us as a church to go through these 21 days of prayer and fasting together. Because not only were each of us individually intentional, but collectively, corporately, we were intentional. And our church is a different place right now. Can you feel it? It's a different place. Because we said, you know what, we're going to go into this year seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You, You don't just drift into spiritual maturity. You don't just drift into holiness. You don't just drift into discipleship. It takes intentionality. And, and, and Paul says you have to wake up, come into the light, and shed your old wardrobe. And here in our passage today, Paul points out five areas where we can easily get mismatched and not even realize it, where the world can come into the church if we're not careful. These are five common areas that we seek to normalize or justify sin. The first one is in the area of sexual immorality. This has to do with what we do with our bodies. The next one is in the area of greed. This is what we do with our money. The next one is with profanity. This is what we do with our words. And the next one is distraction. This is what we do with our time. And then finally, drunkenness. This is what we put into our bodies. And Paul's saying here is that What he's saying is that you are no longer children of darkness. You have been saved and rescued from your former way of life. Now you are children of light. Now children still need to grow and develop. And any household has standards that help a child actually grow and flourish. Paul's saying it's the same thing spiritually. You don't, no matter how accomplished you are in life or how old you are, when you come to faith in Jesus, you, st- you start as a spiritual infant. And, and you need to have standards and a pathway to growth. And if you live according to God's standards, then over time you will move from milk to meat. And you will see that the gospel takes over your entire life in every best sense of the way. And Paul's saying, what's keeping, what's keeping your, your standards low is because you keep drinking milk instead of having meat. And instead of lowering standards or, or hiding sins, the passage here today says that we must expose them. That's what light does. It exposes the darkness, and the enemy can't camp out where there is light. And so Paul gives the antidote to these sins, five ways to walk as children of light, because we need to not just know the problem, we need to know the solution. And the solution for sexual immorality is sexual purity. The solution for greed is generosity. The solution for profanity is thankfulness. The solution for distraction is focus. And the solution for drunkenness is sobriety. This is how you walk as children of the light. And so I want to walk through each of these quickly. And I want to encourage you to examine yourself and the ways the enemy might want to sneak some of these into your wardrobe at night when the lights are off. Verse 3, verse three says this, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint. He says the reason why is because the calling God has on your life, because you're called to be God's holy people, to be a reflection of who he is here on this earth. 
Now, sexual immorality is any sexual activity that's contrary to God's biblical commands. This is when you take any sexual activity outside of the permanent relationship of marriage. The word here in Greek is pornea, which is where the word pornography comes from. And Paul says here, let there not even be a hint of it. And, and you have your internal desires, and that's hard enough, right, because there's internal. But then you've got the external environment that we're living in as well, and that's difficult as well. And so you have to fight on both fronts. Things that people would have thought were unthinkable 13 years ago when we planted the district church are now just normal in this area. And, and, and they're justified, even by some Christians. The sexual ethic today has been reduced to this. As long as it is consensual among adults, that's really the only rule. Literally, the only rule. As long as it's consensual, and you're like 18 years and one day old, then everything, it doesn't matter how long-term the relationship is. It doesn't matter how many partners there are, there are involved. Um, polyamory is becoming more and more common today, even in cities like D.C. This is where there's multiple partners or open relationships, where, where, where it's like, you know, as long as you get the consent of everyone involved, then it's okay. And so people begin to experiment outside of their marriage, and they moralize it by saying, oh, well, everybody agreed, so it must be okay. Because we still abided by the only rule, which is as long as it's consensual among adults. There's a massive amount of sexual confusion and perversion today. And this confusion, if we're not aware of it, it can creep into the church where certain behaviors are justified or even celebrated in the name of love. And so as, as, as Jesus said, beware of, of, of false prophets. It doesn't say false atheists, it's false prophets meaning it can come into the church, disguise himself as angels of light. So we shouldn't be surprised by this. That This has been the devil's strategy from the very beginning, to take something that's so big and so beautiful like sex and, and, and something that's so intimate, so wonderful, that's supposed to be shared between a husband and wife, and then pervert it to sow confusion. That's what the enemy does. He's the father of lies, so we have to be discerning. Paul says, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And he goes on, he lists the second one in this verse. He says, or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Let there not even be a hint of greed. Now, greed is the excessive desire for more of something, especially wealth or possessions. There, there, there is sexual greed, but there's also financial greed. John talks about this in his epistle, um, that there's the lust of the flesh. That's sexual greed. But then there's also lust of the eyes, which is financial greed. Greed never says enough. Paul, Paul said it's not money that's bad. It's the love of money that's bad. Right? And so greed never, never knows how to be content. There's always more. You make a million dollars, your first thought when you make a million dollars is, how do I make two? Never knows how to, 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 be, um, to be grateful. The antidote to greed is generosity. The antidote to greed is generosity, and that's uh, something that we're going to have the tangible opportunity to practice today as a church community. Paul then mentions the next vice in verse 4. He says, there should not be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
There is power in the tongue, as Amy shared last week when she was talking from the passage just for this. James talks about how the tongue is like a fire. With, with our mouth, we, we bless and we curse. And God has given us our tongue and our voice and our words to, to give thanks. Because when we, when we give thanks, we put God at the center of our life. We put him in the proper place. But what sin does is sin causes us in our insecurity to talk about people behind their backs and to make sarcastic comments that are really about getting the attention on us. And that's what sin does is it puts us at the center rather than putting God in his rightful place. That's what prayer does. That's why we're so serious as a church about prayer is because prayer helps put God in his rightful place in our life. And we need to be in daily rhythms of that. Paul says that the common denominator with all of these sins is idolatry, putting something else before God. Does anybody know what the first of the Ten Commandments is? No other gods before me, God said. We are to have no other gods before me. That's what idolatry is. It's when we put sometimes a, a good thing like sexual desire or desire to make money. Those are, can be good things, but then it... it, it replaces God. And now that's the primary thing. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve both God and money. They make competing claims. They go in different directions over time. You can't serve God and your need for approval. Paul said it this way, I couldn't be a minister of the gospel and be a people pleaser. They're incompatible. They just don't go together. And then he uses strong language in verse 5. He says, for this, for, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, I want to be clear that Paul here is not referring to people who commit these sins, because if that were the case, we'd all be in trouble. That's the whole message of the gospel, is that Jesus came to save us and forgive us for our sins. What he's talking about here are people who are continually unrepentant in their behaviors, because you cannot have received Christ, had a genuine conversion to Christ, and continue, continually, purposefully, and deliberately continue to sin. If you do, then that's a reflection that you truly haven't understood the gospel. Before we get to the last two vices, which are distraction and drunkenness, Paul pauses and he reminds us of our identity as children of God. Remember, we always have to be reminded who we are. Because that influences then how we live. And if we jump to behaviors too quickly, we'll do behavior modification without having our heart and mind transformed. And Paul says, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. In other words, at one point, your clothes didn't match. But now the light has been turned on and this is your new identity as a, ch as a child as a, as a son or a daughter of the light. And so he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. To expose means to unmask them, to show, to show something for what it really is, to bring it into the light. Light exposes the darkness. Last week, I had a longtime friend who was in the hospital who shared with me that he had been struggling with suicidal thoughts for many years. And I never knew this despite being close with him. We both, uh, he was in the hospital um, when he shared this with me, and we both just wept on the phone. 
And he, he feared telling me all these years because he thought I would think less of him when he shared it with me. But I actually respected him more when he, when he had the courage to share. It actually brought us closer together. He had the courage to expose his dark thoughts and share how he was having a difficult time believing that the promises of God were still for him. It gave me the opportunity as as his close friend to be able to then pray for him and speak the promises of God over his life, to pray the prayers that he was having a difficult time praying. We expose the enemy who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And we proclaim Psalm 18 that says, I will not die. Somebody say, I will not die. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The devil's not going to steal my testimony. I will live. The passage continues. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, and he quotes uh, what is believed to be a baptismal, baptismal hymn from the early church. Wake up, sleeper. Somebody say, wake up. Wake up, wake up sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The problem that we have today is that too many are asleep. Remember that Paul's writing this letter to Christians. He's not writing it to the world. He's writing it to people who have come out of the world. And he's saying that some of you in the church are still hung over. And it's hurting our gospel witness. But here's the promise. That if you wake up and rise from the dead, then Christ's light will shine on you. It doesn't say that Christ will judge you. It doesn't say that, that, that he will condemn you or that he'll raise his voice at you or, or rub it in or try to belittle you or heap more guilt and shame upon you. No, it says that he will shine his light on you. The light of Christ is the love of Christ. So don't be afraid of the light. Don't be afraid to to keep it real and bring that stuff into the light. People should respect you more in your group and in hallway conversations and one-on-one times when you're real, especially in this church. That's a strong commitment that I have as a pastor here is to create a culture, a non-judgmental culture where it's okay to, to not be okay where we can be real about what's really going on because we will not let the enemy try to isolate us and try to drown us in our dark thinking. We are a church where we are all in recovery. Uh, The addiction recovery ministry is for all of us. We're, We're not here to condemn you for having unwanted behaviors that you can't stop. We wanna help you get free And that happens when you bring it into the light, in community with others, admitting that you're powerless over this unwanted behavior. That's when Christ's light shines on you and the power comes. Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead that Christ's light may shine on you, that you may walk worthy of the calling that he has upon your life. And the good news, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians, and he's just you know, reflecting on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. The good news is that Christ's light doesn't just shine on you, but when you receive Christ, the light of Christ is actually in you. 
Like Christ Jesus, the hope of glory is now shining, not only on you, but now it's shining through you. You were once in Adam. You were once in a life of death and darkness, but now you have been rescued. You are nothing short of a miracle. And Romans 13 says the same thing. In fact, Romans 13, 11 is what led to Augustine's conversion, one of the most prominent church fathers in the 300s. He read this verse, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And when he read this, the Holy Spirit came upon him on Augustine. And he realized that he was spiritually dead. Despite being around the church for a long time, he realized he was spiritually dead. And Christ came and awakened him. And we read some of his books 1,700 years later that are powerful. Because the Holy Spirit awakened him, awakened him from spiritual death. That Romans 13 is actually like a reprise of Ephesians 5. It says this, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourself with Christ Jesus. That's your new wardrobe. All, all the other pieces of clothing don't match the royal coat that you've been given. Paul concludes the passage, verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, says three, wise people do three things real quick. The first is that they make the most of their time. Make the most of their time. And so this gets to the fourth distraction or vice or sin that I don't have time to unpack. It's distraction. It's, it's not making the most of your time. So, so when you're wise people redeem or buy back time, because we all have the same amount of time in a day, but wise people turn, do what takes other people three hours. They do it in 15 minutes because they live with such a sense of urgency of, I know I only have one life and my time here is temporary, and God has given me gifts and resources, so I must deploy it to advance his purposes. Wise people make the most of their time. The second thing is that they discern the will of God, Paul says. Jesus is an example of this in Gethsemane. He prays, not my will, but yours be done. And so you're praying about uh, whether to get married, who to get married to, how, how to have kids. Where to, you're praying about your decisions, where to, where to live, how to spend, like those are prayerful decisions. And the good news is that you don't have to start from scratch to discern God's will for your life, but he has given us his word. And so we have to pray that God would help us know and understand his word. Finally, Paul says that wise people are filled with the spirit. And this is in contrast to the fifth vice, which is being drunk on wine or, or any alcohol or substance. See, this is when you lose control over your body. There's a big difference between being filled with the, with the Holy Spirit and being filled with alcohol. Because when you're filled with alcohol, you lose self-control. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you gain self-control. Because self-control is one of the fruits 
of the Spirit. And, and, and alcohol will cause you to turn to a selfish agenda, to fulfill your sexual and financial desires, to escape the difficulties and suffering of this world. But being filled with the Holy Spirit helps you gain a heavenly perspective and allows you to move toward the suffering of the world. Alcohol is actually, um, medically, alcohol is actually a depressant. It depresses the higher centers of your brain and all of the things that lead to self-control, like wisdom, discernment, and judgment. But the Holy Spirit does the opposite. The Holy Spirit's not a depressant, but a stimulant. It raises our thinking to God's level, and it lifts us from our depression. Paul says that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it leads to three clear benefits. The first one is that you will sing. Worship is the antidote to living in darkness. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss the next worship night, February 23rd, right here. Don't miss the next worship night. Change your plans if you have to. When you're filled with the Spirit, you will start singing. And when you start singing worship songs, great worship songs are just repeating Scripture in different ways. And so what will happen is that you'll start getting Scripture into your heart and mind. You'll start memorizing it. Because you need God's word in your heart. Because when you get into that difficult meeting at work, you don't have time to go pull out your phone or your Bible and even search for it. You need to bring the word of God with you to the meeting. So first thing, the benefit of being filled with the Spirit is that you will sing. The second thing is that you will give thanks. And Paul says not just giving thanks in some things, but giving thanks in all things. That's the real challenge. We're all, we all figure out how to be grateful in different parts of the day. But no, he's saying always give thanks. So this means that when your boss is getting on your nerves and you want to shout him down, you need to first remind yourself that you acted like that before God saved you. And so you just start singing. This is how I thank the Lord for saving me when I was weak. So I will sing, this is how I thank the Lord for everything. This is how I thank the Lord. So I will sing, I will sing, I will sing your praises to you. I will, you guys don't know this song yet. I will sing, this is how I thank the Lord. Right? And, and you, just, you just begin to sing in the meeting under your breath. You're like, like what's, why are you always, your boss is like, why are you always happy? You're always like humming. Because I got a lot to be thankful for. Even in the midst of this project going crazy at work and all this stuff happening in the world and the news, I have learned to be a thankful person to give thanks in all things. And, it's, and, it, and you want to know what my source is because you just think I'm like this super spiritual person that doesn't have his feet on the ground and is not grounded in reality. But when you look at my life, when you talk to me and you realize what I've been through, you will realize that my gratitude is not manufactured. It's actually rooted in something deeper. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll sing, you'll give thanks. And the third benefit is that you'll be generous. Acts chapter 2, the believers were not drunk on wine like many people thought. They were actually filled with the Holy Spirit. And in response, it says in Acts 2 and Acts 4 that they shared all things in common. They sold their possessions and gave to anyone who had need. It wasn't forced, it was voluntary. And this radical generosity got people's attention. 
when you get that revelation that you can't outgive God. Because whatever you give is, is small in comparison to what he gave us in his son Jesus. You, you begin to get the revelation, like it says in Proverbs, that, that, that he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And what Paul is telling us here in our passage today is that if you don't want your garden to grow weeds, if you don't want those besetting sins of impurity and greed and distraction to take root, then the best thing is to keep your garden well stocked with the best stuff. Have it stocked with scripture and with songs and with thanksgiving and with generosity because that's what keeps your mind from wandering. This is how you avoid mismatching your wardrobe. This is how you stay awake. You stay awake by getting scripture into your mind. You stay awake by singing unto the Lord. You stay awake by giving thanks in all things. You stay awake by looking for opportunities to be generous, particularly to the poor. Now, I'm super excited to share a video with you guys. Uh, this might be the, my favorite video we've ever done um, that we just filmed as part of this season of Multiply that we're in. It's a project update from our partners in Columbia. And I went with Andrew King in our church who filmed this and Vivi, uh, who's our minister of outreach. And um, some of you guys know that through your guys' generosity, we were able, through Multiply, we were able to build a child development center in Columbia and also plant a church in that same spot. And so we wanted to tell you guys the story of that here. The local church is the hero, and the local church in Nueva Vida makes Jesus the hero. And yet there's still so much need right here in this community. There are 128 kids that need to be sponsored in the church and in their outreach ministry foundation of love. This is the beginning of something really special even beyond the season of Multiply. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I don't know if you heard Pastor Julio in there said that the mission of compassion is to release children from poverty in the name of Jesus. And he said that's what God has done for him. What was so powerful about this trip for us was, um, was meeting Pastor Julio and Pastor Elizabeth and learning that they too were once compassion-sponsored children. <laughs> and that God worked in their life and called them to go back and reach their community for Christ. And so we have an awesome opportunity today. Um, there are, as I said at the end of this video, there are, well, now 137. There are 100, started 138, but now 137 kids uh, that you saw in this video um, that need to be sponsored. Um, and Amy and I um, sponsored the first one. His name's Emmanuel right here. And uh, his birthday's July 7th. That's your birthday, right? Six, right? Okay, the day after. Um, and he's six years old. And, um, oh, you can see a picture of him right there. And so um, Amy and I um, have, have decided to sponsor him. It's $43 a month. And with that $43, you help provide four different things. The first is education. You're covering this child's school fees and tutoring. Um, the second thing is nutrition. So you're helping not only feed this child, but also feed his family or her family. The third thing is medical. This uh, relates to uh, regular checkups and then emergency care where there's need. And then the fourth thing, and most importantly, is the spiritual. This is giving the children an opportunity to meet and follow Jesus. 
And it's great because the, the foundation, foundation of love, which is the outreach to children, is on the same place where the church is. And so all these children are cared for by Pastor Julio and Elizabeth and have the opportunity to be a part of the church. And almost 100 of the children are already a part of the church. And so um, I want to in, invite you guys right now to just pray um, about whether you would be able to make this commitment today. And uh, I think, do you guys think that we can sponsor 137 kids today? You guys think we can do that? I think we can do that, yeah. Um, you know, the thing that, one of the things that spoke to me about this is the chance, we, you know, we've been in the season of Multiply, um, and we're coming up to the end of it in April, um, praying for a big finish these next few months with that. Um, but this is an opportunity for this season of Multiply to live beyond April in our lives. Because this is really, this isn't really just about like some financial transaction or writing a check each month. This is actually about building a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a child that you can be praying for, that you can correspond with. They take it very seriously. We were there and you saw all the sponsored letters and you know, the, the different letters that went back and forth. Um, and it's just, just really, really amazing and moving. And you guys have probably had the opportunity at some point in your life to sponsor a child in need, whether it was through Compassion or another ministry. But I bet you've never had the opportunity to sponsor a kid at a place where we planted a church, where we can all do it together and build a long-term relationship with that, where you can actually go and visit that child and know that they're being cared for by pastors like Pastor Julio and Elizabeth. And so um, what we're going to do, let me give you guys some of the instructions here. Um, we have, you guys can see the cards um, right here um, from some of the kids at Nueva. These are all kids at Nueva Vida. These are kids that, that we met. And um, what you guys can do, we'll give you a, a time in a, in a minute to come forward. And what you'll do is you'll grab um, one of the cards. And on the bottom right, you'll see um, a place where you can scan. There's a QR code. And so I'm going to invite you to take out your phone and scan that QR code. And you can actually fill it out right here, right now. And um, that's really important because um, the research shows that if somebody takes one of these and goes home with it, that only 4% at most get sponsored. So this is the only packet in the world with Emmanuel from um, Columbia that was born on July 7th, 2017. And he's been unsponsored for 277 days. So he's been waiting for a sponsor for a while. And this actually does pr pr uh, produce a financial strain on the church because they're having to make up uh, this difference. And so we're going to invite you to scan the QR code on, on the front. If your phone is not working for whatever reason, if everybody's trying to do it at the same time, you can fill this out um, right here. And we'll try to come around with, with pens as well. You can fill this out, put it in this envelope, and then uh, either bring it back down here to one of us or give it to anybody with the Compassion shirts on, and we'll make sure. And you need to do that before you leave today. Because once again, this is the only child with this name that exists in the world. And so if you, if you take one, that's that you're making the commitment there to support them at $43 a month. So I wanna invite you guys to stand. Um, and I wanna invite Minister Vivi up to, um, to just pray for, um, pray for Nueva Vida, to pray for these children, um, and to pray for the opportunity that we have um, as a church, as the band sings. But I wanna invite you guys even now, even right now as she's praying, uh, to come forward and do like Amy and I have done and um, sponsor one of the kids today with our partner in Colombia. Amen. Let us pray, church. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, that fills us and makes us children of light. Thank you that we can throw out the sinful deeds of the past of impurity, greed, obscene language, distraction, and drunkenness, and instead be wise people who are focused and filled with your spirit. Thank you for putting songs in our hearts. Thank you for a spirit of gratitude rising up. And thank you for making us generous people. For when we are generous, we are reminded of the generosity in the gospel and how much you have provided for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Julio and Pastor Elizabeth. Te doy gracias por sus corazones, Señor. Te doy gracias, Señor. Por cómo has trabajado en ellos, Señor. Te doy gracias, Señor, porque has puesto una misión y un llamado en su vida, Señor, desde pequeño, Señor, desde que eran compassion kids, Lord. He placed a calling and a mission in their lives that is now being presented to us. We have the opportunity to participate in this mission that they started even when they were little in Colombia. And we don't take that for granted, Lord. Te doy gracias por todos los niños que están aquí representados, Señor, por cada una de sus familias, Señor, por Felipe, por Sara, por Celeste, por Emanuel, por Isabela, por Liam, por Alan, and so many, many, many names that are represented here that each represent a family in need, a family that is suffering, Lord. You gave me the opportunity to experience that, to witness that, to hold these kids, Lord, and to see them the way you see them, Lord. And while that is a privilege and an honor, it comes with great, with great responsibility. Así que te pedimos, Señor, que actúes en nuestros corazones, Señor, que derredargüeas nuestro espíritu, Señor, que nos hagas sentir incómodos, Señor que no vivamos en un mundo en donde tengamos oportunidades como estas y las dejemos pasarlo we don't want to live in a world where we have opportunities like this and we just let them go we want to be part of something greater because you are greater gracias Señor por compasión Señor por la oportunidad que tenemos el día de hoy Señor de ser parte de algo más grande te pedimos Señor que podamos encontrar sponsors for each kid that we can walk alongside these kids being their mentors being their spiritual mothers, fathers brothers and sisters in Christ te pedimos Señor que abran nuestros corazones y nuestra mente y nuestros ojos Señor a algo más Señor pido que tu Espíritu Santo nos guíe Señor esta mañana Señor que sepamos el valor que cada uno de estos de estas cartas Señor tienen Señor y la oportunidad que tenemos de escribirles cartas Señor todos los días, todos los meses, contarles de nosotros y que ellos nos cuenten de, de, de sus vidas y de lo que hacen de cómo Dios se está moviendo en su vida, en su comunidad a lot of these kids come from families that are not 
um, believers. Their parents are not believers, and they are in the in the foundation, learning about Christ, learning about the gospel. And it's a huge witness for each kid to come back home and get to share with their family and their parents and their siblings about what they have learned. And it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful to know that for each kid, a whole family gets safe. Te doy gracias, Señor, por, nuestros, por los pastores de Nueva Vida, Señor, y por su iglesia y por su congregación y por la comunidad, Señor. Te doy gracias, Señor, porque podemos ver, Señor, cómo los cimientos de amor y la fundación que ellos están formando, Señor, está creciendo, Señor. Those foundations of love, now is a, now is a building. They are concrete walls. The foundation became a building. And how great is that we find our foundation in you, Lord, and you built us up for greater things. Because, again, we serve a greater God. I want to invite you to, to just pray. If you already got a car or if you're thinking about it, I just, want you, I just want to invite you to pray. To pray for the kid that you have in your hand or pray for the kids that are still in the front. Just pray for Colombia. Lift up a prayer for Pastor Julio and Pastor Elizabeth. Just lift up a prayer for their committee, for La Iglesia Nueva Vida for their church, their congregation. For their foundation, which is called Cimientos de Amor, Foundation of Love. Just leave a prayer right where you are. Just leave a prayer.